Part nineteen of Beckside Lights by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Harmonium One An Apple of Discord. Jabe and Long Ben had been spending a week at the seaside for the first time in their lives. Excursions of this nature were in those days very rare among Beckside folk, and this was brought about by Lige, the roadmender. That worthy and his wife, now retired and living comfortably in a little cottage near the beck, had evidently determined to enjoy themselves for the rest of their lives, and so gave way to habits which occasioned their friends much concern. Amongst other questionable tendencies, they grew fond of making little excursions abroad on visits to friends and the like. This was all very delightful to Lige himself, although he took his pleasure somewhat fearfully. He was troubled on every new adventure of the kind with painful misgivings as to the righteousness of such conduct and vainly attempted to square matters with his plain-spoken conscience by extraordinary contributions to the chapel collections. When, therefore, Jane Ann had proposed to him to go to Thsayside, he had had a somewhat painful struggle, and in fact, even when he had got to the watering-place and was enjoying himself to the full, he had moments of such painful self-reproach that he hit upon the ingenious expedient of trying to persuade the grave heads of the church at Beckside to join them in their dubious pleasure, and thus, by obtaining official sanction for his frivolities, to relieve himself of at least some of the responsibility for them. And so Jane Ann, of whose penmanship Lige was most inordinately proud, had written a long letter, enlarging not upon the worldly attractions of the place, but upon the marvellous eloquence of the preacher at the Methodist chapel, and the beauty of certain new tunes which were being sung there, and closing with a most urgent request that Lige's friends would join them for a few days. But Lige, uneasy and impatient though he was, had to wait several days for a reply, for so grave and altogether unusual a matter was not to be settled all at once. Seaside visitation was, according to Beckside standards, a somewhat questionable practice. It savoured of pampering self-indulgence. It was extravagant and worldly, and was generally regarded as a sign of ostentation and frivolity. It was some time, therefore, before the two friends could find an excuse for the journey which satisfied themselves and those about them. What made it worse, Sam Speck had not been invited, and he was very stern and uncompromising in his maintenance of the orthodox Beckside view of the case, and came down upon any weak argument advanced by Jabe or Ben in favour of the excursion, or any such like worldly vanities, with unexampled fierceness, and contrived to obtain the at any rate partial support of Nathan, Jonas, Jethro, and the rest. Sam's position was made the stronger by the fact that both the clogger and his friend found themselves surprisingly inclined to accept Lige's invitation, but were very much ashamed at being so weak and frivolous. At last, however, Sam went too far one night, and so goaded the wavering clogger that he suddenly arose from his seat and announced his intention of going, whatever either Sam or anybody else might say. Of course, if Jabe went, Ben must go too, and as Mrs. Ben rather encouraged the idea, and Jabe's mode of settling the discussion transferred the moral responsibility of the whole expedition to the clogger's shoulders, Ben plucked up courage, and away they went. 
when they arrived at their destination they were shocked to find lige so evidently carried away by his frivolous surroundings that he met them at the station wearing a straw hat and a thin alpaca jacket and flourishing a rakish-looking cane and the light-hearted manner in which their old friend walked them into lodgings of awe-inspiring grandeur as if it were an everyday matter to him quite took their breath away well they had spent a busy and very happy week and having got their faces most satisfactorily tanned were returning on the bus from duxbury to beckside there was only room for one on the driver's box and the bus was kept standing several minutes at the bottom of station road whilst jabe and his friend settled which of them should occupy the coveted seat ordinarily neither of them would have cared to travel outside but on this occasion they were both of one mind and neither would give way for the other and neither would confess that the real reason of this obstinacy was an intense desire to catch the very first possible glimpse of dear old beckside as the reader will guess jabe was the successful candidate for the outside berth and ben when he got inside went up to the far end of the vehicle and took his seat by the window in order to have the next best possible view to jabe's it was perhaps as well they were parted for as they drew near home certain painful misgivings began to exercise their minds what had happened to the dear old place in their careless and unnecessary absence they were both sure that they would find something wrong and only justly so either they had been gadding about and seeing wonderful things and wickedly enjoying themselves without stint whilst the chapel had been left to take care of itself or what might turn out even worse than that to be managed by rash and inexperienced hands it would not have greatly surprised ben to find his children all ill of fever or his shop burned down and jabe was by no means sure that he should find the chapel where he left it and all right ah how wicked they had been why the very evening of their arrival at the watering-place as they were walking on the sands lige the trifler had gaily challenged long ben to a game at aunt sally and jabe was convinced that but for his own indignant protest ben would have accepted and the world would have had the scandalous spectacle of two pillars of the church throwing sticks at a big hideous-looking wooden image with a pipe in its mouth on the other hand jabe was very uneasy lest ben should after all know what he did whilst ben and lige were having their photos taken and the uneasy clogger realised that he would never be able to hold his head up in beckside again if he got out that he had had his bumps felt by an itinerant phrenologist neither of these men had ever been a week outside of beckside in his life before and as the coach drew near the village they grew quite nervous and apprehensive as to what might have happened during their absence their fears being all intensified by the painful recollections of the thoughtlessness and wicked gaiety in which they had been indulging when the bus reached the top of the hill and was going down into the village jabe heaved a great sigh and long ben with his nose flattened against the coach window had difficulty in keeping back his tears and after all nothing had happened the chapel stood just where they had left it and looked bonnier than ever the buzz of the mill could be distinctly heard and over that the chee chee of the saws from ben's saw pit and when the conveyance stopped and isaac sam speck nathan and jethro came rushing out to meet them 
overwhelming them with questions and chafe about their sunburnt faces, Jabe standing off from the group and looking round with unwonted seriousness on his face, cried out, The seaside's right enough for them as likes it, but Beckside's good enough for me. And Long Ben, turning his back to the group of friends and looking very earnestly at the mill chimney, whilst he vainly tried to straighten a quivering face, responded, Ay, lad, there's no place like warm, is there? Safe home again, both our friends felt inclined to laugh at the fear that had spoilt the pleasure of the return journey, but almost immediately other thoughts began to trouble them. Jabe wondered whether Ben really did know about that phrenologist, and Ben felt himself going red about the ears as he thought of the dreadful possibility of Jabe blurting out the truth about the Aunt Sally. These things were too shameful even to be discussed by them, and so, though they had abundant opportunity as they came home of entering into a compact, neither of them had ventured to suggest it to the other. Fortunately, Lige had stayed behind a little longer, and so could not expose them, but what if he came home and in his garrulous way blurted out the whole story? At the clog shop that night there was of course a full assemblage, and as Jabe and Ben described what they had seen, and marked the effect of it on the company present, they forgot their pricks of conscience, and were very soon on the best of terms, both with themselves and each other. Jabe, of course, was the chief spokesman, and he sat in his shirt-sleeves with a new long pipe before him, smoking a wonderful brand of tobacco to which Lige had introduced him, and enlarging on all they had seen and heard. He dismissed the ordinary attractions of the place in a very summary manner, although Ben confessed afterwards that he fair grilled, as Jabe mentioned Aunt Sally a second time. And when Jabe paused for a moment to relight his pipe, Ben seemed inclined to take up and continue the story, for he drawled, "'And there were one of them, them, them bump-feeling chaps, and—' But here Jabe broke in with most unwanted haste. The hunters were out in camp meetings upon the sands, and eh, what singing! Having thus got the conversation into smooth waters again, Jabe passed on to what he knew would be more interesting to the company, and described the big chapel they had attended, and the preachers and the music, and the company noted with interest that instead of describing the leaders of the music as the singers, he called them the kaya, and even the singing pew itself, was denominated the Horchester, which were regarded as signs that even the sturdy ecclesiastical conservatism of Jabe had been relaxed by his short sojourn abroad. Ah, money worther in the band, asked Jethro at this point. Band? A lumpied. He were a horgin. Sam Speck, who with the memory of his late ill-treatment on his mind, had hitherto manifested an ostentatiously supercilious indifference, now suddenly woke up, and glancing significantly at young Luke Yates, who sat near him, leaned his head against the chimney, and winking mysteriously at Jonas Tatlock, said quietly, Aye, bands is goin' out of fashion for chapels. So much were for the chapels, then, retorted Jabe with emphasis. Sam and his friends glanced at each other again, and the conversation seemed somehow to have got stranded. "'We went to the independent chapel this afternoon. "'It was Simon's,' said Long Ben at length, "'and talk about singing.' 
but Ben could find no words in which to express his admiration, and so he nodded with most eloquent suggestiveness at Jonas. "'Were there a band there?' asked Sam, whose mind seemed somehow to run very oddly on this subject. "'No, there were a harmonian.' Sam's eyes sparkled, and after turning and looking significantly over his shoulder at those who sat nearest to him, he drew a long breath and asked quietly, "'And the music were tip-top,' thus says." "'It were that,' replied the carpenter, putting as much weight into his words as he could make them carry. Sam was conscious that Jabe was studying him curiously, and so he moved restlessly in his seat. Then, after a pause, he dropped his voice somewhat, and remarked with a very awkward attempt at indifference, "'That's what we want in here.' Ben opened his eyes a little, and then looking at Sam interrogatively, he asked, "'Us? What do we want?' Sam cast another look at those nearest to him, and then, wincing as if in anticipation of a blow, he said softly, "Ah, Harmonian. Everyone in the company shot a quick glance at Jabe, and as quickly turned away again, whilst the possessors of those eyes held their breath as if anticipating an explosion. But the clogger neither moved nor spoke. His rugged face became a shade sterner, but for any other sign he gave, he might never have heard Sam's remark. The silence that followed was most unpleasant, and so, to relieve it, Long Ben looked across at Sam and asked, "'What do we want we harmonian?' Sam stole another quick glance at Jabe, whose silence was more ominous than any speech, and answered sulkily, "'Well, we do. The Clough Enders has one, and the Brogdon has has one, and then two at Duxbury School.' Sam sat like a naughty boy, expecting a box on the ear, and the rest of the company stole shy, quick glances at the clogger, whose silence under these conditions was a sort of slow torture. Presently Ben went on. "'Dost know what harmonians gosses?' "'Gosses? Aye,' replied the now desperate Sam. "'We can have a gradely good un with six stops in for ten pound, and Jimmy Juddy says he'll give two to aught it.' Then two or three others added details, and for the next few minutes they talked eagerly, but somewhat nervously, on the subject, evidently unconscious of the fact that in every word uttered they were betraying themselves to the silent and inscrutable clogger. In the discussion thus initiated, it gradually became clear that immediately after the departure of Jabe and Ben for the seaside, Sam and Luke Yates had begun to carry out a long-cherished plan of agitating for a modern musical instrument for the chapel. The suggestion had met with more encouragement than they had expected, Jethro the knocker-up being their only serious opponent, and as he was not of much account and was clearly prejudiced, they had, by the time the two excursionists returned, nearly perfected their scheme. Amongst other things, they had got a lot of tentative promises that nearly covered the proposed outlay, and an illustrated price list of very attractive-looking instruments. At this point, Sam produced from his pocket a gorgeous catalogue, with one of the leaves carefully turned down, and opening the book at this particular page, he looked anxiously round for someone to whom to present it. But though they had all examined it several times a day for the last few days, they seemed to have suddenly lost all interest in the matter, and shrank from accepting Sam's offer under the stern eye of the terrible clogger. Sam bent forward, 
and nervously thrust the catalogue towards Long Ben, but that worthy looked straight before him, and absolutely ignored the document. Sam was visibly agitated, and would gladly have put the list back in his pocket, but he either could not or dared not, and so he held it out hesitantly, and looked at it a long time, conscious that everyone was watching him, and finally, making a desperate effort, he got up, strode across to where Jabe was sitting, and pointing with his finger at a picture of a very imposing-looking instrument, he cried, "'That's it, Sivvy! We start some music when we get on that!' Jabe was sitting with his short leg flung carelessly over the other, against the opposite side of the chimney-jam, and to everybody's surprise he put out his hand, and in a listless, indolent fashion took hold of the catalogue and glanced at the indicated picture. Then, still holding the list between his thumb and finger, he lolled back lazily, and fixing his eye on a thick cobweb in the corner of a walled-up side window, he said, with a slow, impressive shake of the head, "'I'll tell you what, chaps, we live in a wonderful times!' Everybody was surprised and mystified, and whilst one or two of the conspirators began to show an inclination to hopefulness, the more experienced hung their heads apprehensively. Nobody replied to Jabe's enigmatical remark, and so in a moment or two he shook his head more seriously than ever, and still contemplating the cobweb, added, "'Wonderful times!' And even then nobody responded, and the older ones present glanced pityingly at Sam. "'Everything's done by machinery nowadays,' continued Jabe, putting on a look of carefully simulated wonder. Ain spinning machines, and waving machines, and sewing machines, and weshing machines, and now, bith ferrups, we ain getting worshipping machines. And absorbed with the contemplation of all these modern marvels, Jabe stared at the cobweb in rapt astonishment. Machines, began Sam indignantly, but two or three put out their hands and checked him, whilst the clogger, still gazing at the spider's habitation, went on with slow and painful deliberateness. "'We's that praying machines and preaching machines next. Nah, if nobbut some handy chap had mak a machine for turning soft, gormless, bluffing yeds into gradely fellas, or bay one mysel. There'd be plenty of work for it in There was a sudden sputter of half-amused, half-angry laughter, which relieved the tension somewhat. Two or three slyly drew the backs of their hands across their mouths, as if they had just tasted something enjoyable but forbidden, and Sam was lifting his head to reply, when Jabe went on once more in a humorously sarcastic tone. "'Harmonian, eh? We'd better send for lame Joe and start a concertina band, or else a singing pew full of lads with tin whistles and Jews harps.' Sam Speck, goaded to desperation, set his teeth, and clenching his fist, brought it down heavily on the bench before him, crying in indignant anger, "'Well, we ain't getting th brass, and we's that one. Choose what I says.' Jabe's face became suddenly very stern. The amused, contemptuous look upon it vanished, and pursing his lips, and drawing together his brows, he said, with slow, weighty emphasis, as long as there's a fiddle-stringy beckside, 
for a felly as can start a tune there'll be no harmonion in our chapel the countenances of sam's supporters dropped visibly and a glint of unholy fire shot into several eyes and as long ben noted this he chimed in soothingly we met use it for th school i knows we'n been rayther hard up sometimes lattly but the possibility of ben's defection from his side roused jabe and so jumping to his feet he shouted in his excitement there'll be no barrel organs bart handle i that school will arm alive and then after a pause now and if you're getting one if they're arm gone be them on or come back to you as jabe sank back into his seat glaring relentless resolution all around a spirit of sulky depression seemed to fall on the company and what should have been a highly enjoyable evening proved so disappointing that the friends began to depart quite early whilst those who remained looked more and more dismal scarcely had the last man except ben departed when jabe rose to his feet and glaring at the companion of his recent jaunt he cried in bitter distress this is what comes of this seaside manty bankin didn't o tell thee i to be and then sinking into his seat again with a face all a-work he cried with added bitterness oh wish the seaside had been at jericho oh do for sure now as ben had gone to the watering-place quite as much because he thought jabe wanted to go but would not go alone as because he fancied the excursion himself and as all the warnings and misgivings had been uttered by himself as far as he could remember and had been received by his friend with a fine scorn he was somewhat surprised to have this charge hurled at him but he knew his man too well to reply just then and so after sitting and smoking in silence for a long time he said soothingly yeah mind lad there'll be no harmonions in heaven no no seasides no other grunted jabe end of part nineteen